Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Gotta Be Gaming podcast, where we invite you to join us as we discuss games of the past, present, and future. Because no matter when it was made, we gotta be gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me embarking on this exciting new journey into video game conversations is my good friend, Steven. It's a me, Mario. Oh, I love it. I love the timeliness of that, Steven. Yeah, that's How perfect. I've been all day. People probably don't know this because they're going to be listening to this episode a little bit later by the time it gets published. But today is Mario Day, March 10th, and so we are celebrating a bit, I guess, in our impersonations. I probably will not try to match Steven in that, though. We'll leave that to him. If you haven't already done so, we highly suggest that you check out our previously released introduction episode, where we tell you a little bit about ourselves and lay out the format of the show. And if you enjoy what you hear, please consider following us and letting us know on social media. We'd love to interact. We'd also love it if you'd share the podcast with a friend and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help us reach more listeners, and we would be ever so grateful. With that said, I think it's time to get into the games, Stephen. Let's do it. Well, first up for me is Mario Tennis Aces. And actually, this is going to be the first of two sports titles on the Nintendo Switch, which is not something you think of when you think of the Nintendo Switch, right? They have ported games to the Nintendo Switch like FIFA and NBA 2K and I'm too scared to try those, to be honest with you, because when it comes to sports gaming, that's one of the genres. That it's kind of like first-person shooters are for a lot of people. You know, for me, like, I need my precision. I need my technicals to be strong in a sports game, and I just don't know that the Switch hardware can hold up. But what it can do is give us fun, cutesy sports games, apparently. And Mario Tennis Aces is one such title. This is a game developed by Camelot Software Planning, and it was released on June the 22nd, 2018. So a little about a year and a half old, I guess, right now. The game has received frequent updates, though, and that is what ultimately led me to try it out. I remember when it first came out, the Switch had a demo for this game, and they let you play some online tournaments or whatever, and... I think I tried one or two on the demo, got myself wrecked real quick, and was like, nope, not for me, <laughs> and never bought the game. It got kind of middling reviews when it released, but those frequent updates have apparently put it in a much better light in the eyes of the public, including 14 new characters being added after launch, so it's kind of like Smash Brothers in that way. It is so much fun, man. I don't know if you've ever played like a Mario Tennis game, but it reminds me of the old school versions only with incredible graphics and exciting new move sets and stuff. It's kind of short. That might be one of my biggest gripes, to be honest, is that the campaign that you can go through just doesn't last very long. I think it took us, I, I want to say four or five hours maybe to beat it the whole thing it wasn't that bad and that was with several levels having to be tried multiple times because there's some serious challenge in there um, but it's outstanding as a single player mode what you get is a lot of fun it consists of a string of challenges where you have to like meet a certain amount of rallies back and forth with your partner you have to keep the ball going without missing a shot or uh, there will be certain matches that you have to win against a character. And then there are boss fights, which are really interestingly designed. 
It's you with your tennis racket fighting against like a true actual level boss. And there are some of the most neat things I've ever seen, to be honest. The game has several different types of characters. So it's got a roster of 30 total now, including those new 14. That's a ton of Nintendo characters. So basically, if you have a favorite Nintendo character, it's likely going to be on this roster in the Mario, or a favorite Mario World Nintendo character. It's going to be on this roster for you to play with. They're divided into categories of defensive, specialists, tricky, uh, powerful, speedy, and technical. And they really do play differently depending on which one you are using. They all have a different special move power kind of thing. So, you know, you build up energy by accomplishing special shots and then you can click a button and you go into this really really awesome looking animation and they all look different i mean for one thing there's a piranha plant in this game steven and so you know it just it's just fun to play with piranha plant because you're like flopping around with a piranha plant with a tennis racket in its mouth and it's hilarious uh they all have really cool animations it's it's a blast it really is it's visually stunning um, it's crisp, it's bright, really pops on the screen. It plays really fast as well. A lot of the matches are only like three total sets. So it's best of three. That, is that how you say that? I think I'm saying that right. Instead of like five, like you would have in a men's tennis match. So you can get through more quickly, which I really enjoy. And, uh, the, the points play fairly quick as well. Just going back and forth. The controls are really tight. And I feel completely able to move my guy around the, the, the tennis court um, the way that I want to. I don't think that they are delayed. I don't think that they're not being responsive. Uh, it works out really well for me. And it's also fun because some of these unlocks that you can get, they allow you to play via a co-op challenge and also some online tournaments, which you get points just for playing them. I really appreciate that aspect because... If you put me in an online tournament and you tell me that I have to win in order to achieve something, I'm just not going to ever get that thing, most likely, because I'm not good. But if you let me lose, 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 and still slowly make progress toward a goal, I'm going to do it because I'm able to unlock, get this, colored Yoshis and colored Koopas. And, I mean, I can't help it. Like, they're awesome. Like, I want the red and the green and the blue, you know? And so the kids and I worked on that quite a bit, um, but... The, like I said, the game is challenging. So that, that single player mode that you go through, there's about a midway point in there where the difficulty seems to just ratchet up at an insane spike. So just be aware of that going into this game that you might hit a point of frustration and it's okay. Just, just stay with it. Push through. You'll get, you'll get there. Give the controller to your daughter because she's apparently amazing at sports games and she'll just beat everything for you. That's what I did. And it worked. And, I will never live it down. My daughter now thinks, and it, get this, I played high school tennis, Stephen. My son is currently a high school tennis player. My daughter is the most unathletic person I've ever met in my entire life. She hates being motional, as she calls it. She doesn't want to go outside. She doesn't want to move around. She just wants to sit inside and design video games. And she was whooping our asses on Mario Tennis. And it the the look on her face of joy was, it was both a pleasure for me to see as a dad, but also really embarrassing <laughs> to know, to realize that I've reached that level where I, my kids are better than me. Um, this game makes me want a switch version of Mario strikers and Mario golf so bad. And so I hope that those are coming next. 
with the uh, online tournaments, have you ever played the tournaments on Mario Kart? So is it just you always get positive points, you never get in the negative, and so it's just always positive no matter what place you get? That's right. Yep. You can always get some points. Um, you have like a net ranking. So it kind of like say it starts off at like a 1200 or something. And if you win two sets straight and beat your opponent in the first round of the tournament, you're going to get a big jump. Okay. If you win only one set or I'm sorry, if you win two out of three, your opponent wins more points or wins one of the sets or one of the, sorry, games from you, um, then you'll get less points. If you lose, you'll just get a little bit of points, but your you your net ranking won't move a lot, but you'll still get what they call like participation points is I think what they're actually called. So it's fairly descriptive. And that is what you need to get to go up in order to achieve the different Yoshis or Koopa colors. And what's cool is it's cumulative too. So like you don't have to get like that one of them has a score of 40 and you get one color and then a score of 100 and you get another color. You don't have to reach 100 in one sitting to get that. You just have to do 40 and then do another match and 40 again and then do another match and do 20 and then boom, you're at 100. Um, so they're really achievable, which, like I said, I, I enjoy that. Make me feel like I should. I mean, I own this game. I think I got it on release day. I haven't played it, though. Like, I've played a little bit of it. I tried the like the online tournaments before it launched. I think it was like the beta or whatever. And like, I didn't do well in those. And I tried the story mode and didn't get very far. Yeah. So I just kind of dropped it. I think there's another game that came out like at the same time, maybe. I don't remember like a PS4 game. I want to say Spider-Man maybe came around then. I don't remember, but it was a game that I dropped pretty quickly. So I wonder if I should just go fire back up and put it in my Switch right now. Yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's one of those games that Nintendo, I feel like, is really strong at making, where it's not the deepest thing in the world, it's not going to blow your socks off and give you hundreds of hours of gameplay, but honestly, when my kids are over now and we just want to hang out and like have a little fun and not try to like make progress, or one of the problems with my life is that we all three kind of want to do different things. So my son wants to play Fortnite or Rocket League with his friends. Well, my daughter wants to make progress in our Breath of the Wild game or in Fire Emblem or something. Well, we can't all three do different things. We only have two big TVs. And so trying to figure out, like, what are we going to all do together? Well, this is a game that we can all just kind of play together. We'll take turns playing against each other or take turns playing against the computer, but we're all engaged in the same thing. So it's a really good couch party game, in my opinion. And do you, do you, how often do you play the uh, motion controls aspect of the game? Because I know that was something Never. like I was hyped for, but was disappointed with how it worked. Refused to try it out for that very reason. I, I just, I don't love it. Uh, I looked, I, I looked up reviews that said it does not live up to the Wii U motion control for the tennis game that they had on Wii Sports. And that was all I needed to see because if it can't be at least at that level, then I don't want to do it. And frankly, man, to be honest with you, like, I would go outside and play tennis in a heartbeat if it was nice outside because I enjoy that sport. I don't want to stand in my garage or sorry, not my garage. That would be even worse. But I don't want to stand in my living room and play tennis by swiping an invisible controller. I thought about it. They have some really cool peripherals you can buy that plug into your Joy-Con that makes it look like a like a little miniature racket. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. It'd be fun to do it. But I think the idea of it is more fun than the execution would be. And so I'd rather just sit there with my pro controller and hit the ball back and forth easily personally without breaking a sweat. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the one 
major disappointing thing with me with the motion controls is it was only in one mode of the game. That's right. That you yep. could actually only use it in. It's like, I want to play the single player. I want to try with the motion controls, but it was kind of disappointing to see they kind of pigeonholed it into one little section. It may have been one of the changes they made. They may have made it available, but I know that at least when it came out, for sure you're right, that you could only use them in the special challenge area, and that might still be the case. I'm, I'm not sure. But I'd definitely say give it a chance. I mean, if you have it, there's no reason to at least throw it in every once in a while and try it out, see if it sticks for you. I loved it. Yeah. Do you have a character that you are a like a class of characters you like the most? Good question. Um, I have become a big. Well, I can't. I think of his. You put me on the spot. And I can't remember his name. He's like a little frog. <laughs> um, he's he's a cute little frog. His name's. It's not. Is it Spike? I think it might be Spike. But he's. You know, my favorite character in all of Mario Land is Dry Bones, and so. I use him sometimes in Mario Tennis, but I like the strength character. Um, that's what Spike is. And he's just like a really little guy, but he's a strong character. And I like the way that he hits the ball and, you know, and, and they all have like a special move that lets them zip across the court. So like, it's like a recovery move you would think of in Super Smash Brothers is the equivalent of that. So if somebody hits it all the way on the other side and you've got to get there, you can hit on the right or left. You can flip the, the thumbstick and your character will do a special animation based on the character. Like some characters will teleport over there. Some will like do crazy little flips over there. You know, um, some will like get a car and drive over there or whatever. And then they'll magically hit the ball back across. Um, unsurprisingly, but it's, it's a lot of fun and I, I like his animations a lot. I think that's the one thing I never got with the game was the right stick. I was messed that up and never was able to recover well enough. So I was just really bad. I think I just need to practice quite a bit more with the game. Yeah. Yeah, give it a shot. If you do, let me know how it goes. <laughs> Will do. What have you been up to playing in the, the past these days? Um, I decided to go deep into the past and kind of go with a classic. So I fired up Super Metroid. So if you've listened to our previous me- previous episodes, you know that Metroidvania is kind of the thing I've been into lately. So I decided I might as well start with the OG. Give the first one a try. Um Kind of my history with Super Metroid is when I, I had the Game Boy as a kid, and I had Metroid 2. And I had no idea what I was doing in the game because I was like eight years old when that game came out. So I kind of never touched a Metroid game after that. And so I think it was up until college I played a ROM of Super Metroid. And I think I never finished it. I don't know if it's because the ROM bugged out or what. But um ever since then, I've played every game in the Metroid franchise so i figured gotta give this one a try yeah this game's considered to be the classic and what i don't understand i guess it is i can see why it's classic because of the way it kind of changed the industry and how it kind of set games in the future but the games now like they just have a lot of life improvements that have improved on the game there's a lot of areas in the game where i got stuck and i had no idea what to do and it'd just be this little tiny square in the ceiling that I had to shoot, no idea that I was going to have to do that until I looked it up on a wiki and saw that's what I needed to do. So that got really frustrating at times. Uh, there was parts where the boss battles got a little tricky, and I was like, I am wasted all my ammo. What do I have to do? And it was just, oh, just use your power beam, and you could beam right through the push them that way instead of just wasting all your super missiles. So that was really annoying. Uh, Ridley's guards, they were probably the most 
difficult thing I think I faced in the game with their like right before you go in the Ridley's room, there were these two bad guys that you couldn't just shoot them. You had to jump over them, have them do a jump, have them attack you, and then they changed colors. It was really difficult to get them because I had low health, so it got to a point where I was just uh, grinding for health. It got really annoying with doing that kind of stuff. So I think overall I thought it was a solid game that has feature elements that have been improved upon future games in the series and in just the Metroidvania genre itself. And I think if I would have played it when it first came out, I probably would have loved it a lot more. But just playing it now is like, yeah, I could see how it was historically important, but there's just more games that I enjoyed a lot more. Did you play this one on the Nintendo online service through Super Metroid, or did you play it on your old school SNS? I played it on the Switch. Okay. Yeah, online service. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I fired it up the other day. Not the other day. That's not true. It was, it was, it was the other day, but it was like a year ago the other day. Uh, when it came out, I guess it was in October or something like that. Whenever they came out with the SNS version, um, of the older Switch games and it saw it on there. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, I don't know how people played these games. And this has happened to me more than one time. I have a couple of good friends that I talk gaming with all the time. And I'm sure I'll bring them up over the course of the podcast quite often. It's Andy and Jeff. So if you hear their names, those are my gaming friends. And we we went through a cycle where we got into ROMs ourselves. And we both had these little indie box, um, retro boxes using uh, the RetroPie software. And we were like, oh, we're going to play all these old retro games. It's so fun. Let's play old school Tecmo and old school Link to the Past and Man, I finally, re- I finally like, or quickly, I guess, realized that it was just not the same. The games have come so far that it is difficult to go back. And some of those games were brutally hard by today's standards. They probably weren't back in the day nearly as hard because that was what we were used to, I think. Like, that was the norm. But now games have so many different things available to us to get us out of binds or to push us through tough situations that they just didn't have back then. And so for me to go back and play like a Super Metroid, my fun in doing that would be to experience it. But I would just literally play it with a walkthrough, to be honest, because I think I would have more fun. I would get to see what the game was all about without getting super annoyed by it because you're right. It is genre defining. And I think that's the key here is while it doesn't do all of these things, you said, you know, you've seen it done so many times better because you love this genre and you play it. But without this game, does, does a Hollow Knight exist, right? Does an Ori exist? And probably not because Super Metroid kind of set that standard. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of that, like even the first Metroid game, there was no map and you always heard people have taken the graph paper and making their own map and it's just over time like i don't think i can even play the original metroid right now because without a wiki because there is no map you'd have to keep track of where you've been and all that kind of stuff so it's kind of interesting yet going back and playing these old games and seeing how stuff has improved over time well i think it's a good i think idea i think it's something that especially newer gamers who weren't alive in the early video game console eras like we were it's a cool thing for them to do just to even dip their feet in the water and kind of experience like, oh, this is what Super Metroid was like. When people talk about it, now they have a reference point, even if they don't beat it, right? Or 
play the whole thing. It's good to have that perspective so that when you're enjoying the games of the present, you can pay homage to them by knowing where they came from. Same thing we do with movies. You know, movies today owe a lot to movies of the past. And when you watch older film, you get a better appreciation of what you're seeing now. And when you're seeing themes that have been approved upon or, you know, storytelling methods. So it's just similar to that. I think it's a cool deal. Um, but yeah, maybe you'll stick with more modern stuff in the future. Yeah, that's, I think, might be what I do. Well, my other Nintendo Switch sports game that I wanted to briefly talk about is Golf Story. This game is a role-playing sports adventure video game. Yes, I just said those words together. Developed by Australian studio Sidebar Games, and it is a Switch exclusive. Yes, exclusivity. My favorite thing in the world. Not. Uh, the game was released on September 28th, 2017, so it's a few years old now. This is the bomb. I can just, I can rave about this game forever, and it's not that deep, but it's just a joy to play. And this is the kind of game that reminds me of why I love Nintendo, because this is the kind of game that it harkens back to games of the Super Metroid era, to be honest. It is an incredibly unique structure. So when I said RPG adventure game, sports adventure game, that is exactly what this game is. It is truly an RPG. You are a character who is collecting money for various tasks on your quest to become a professional golfer. And as you gain a certain amount of money, you get to level up and increase your statistics for how do you drive the ball? What's your accuracy? How much of a spin do you have on the ball? All these things. It's a straight up RPG. Um, you have side quests in this game. It's all in the 8-bit art style. It's super cute, uh, super fun to run around this world. Reminds me of Stardew Valley. Makes me want to play Stardew Valley every time I fire this up because I'm like, oh, I feel like I should just like walk off the golf course and go check on my crops. Uh, it is a genuine sports game, though, because... While you go around and you do these little quests and you have all of these fun little stories going on, you're basically playing golf over like eight or so different courses as you go through the game. And you're doing all of these different like little challenges on each golf course. Um, and it's, it's really amazingly designed. The golf itself is incredible. It's so simplistic because it's just button pressing, right? Like it's not Tiger Woods where you've got the thumbstick and you can slash it in like a, at an arc and your ball will spin and you have all this crazy control. You literally are just hitting buttons, but yet I feel so good about the way the golf is played. I could just go in this game and play a round of golf just for fun. Like I've, I've finished with the game, but that's still appealing to me is just to fire it up go to one of the courses and see if I can like get more birdies than I have in the past. Try to find some, some hole in one opportunities or, you know, beat my final score. Um, and it's, it's, I can just do that. You can tee it up anywhere you want in this game. So you can like drop the ball anywhere on the world map and just start hitting golf balls, which sometimes there's like stuff floating out into ponds and you can hit it and break it and get money for that. And you can kind of discover all these little secrets in the world it is an absolute blast. You can shape your shots in all sorts of different ways. You can put spin on the ball, slice it, hook it, put draw, uh, put top spin. It's, it's all there, man. It is a complete 
golf game in a 15-hour little RPG package. There are a host of great characters. They all have really hilarious uh, dialogue that takes place. At one point, you literally have a rap battle in this game. I That's all I'm going to say, and it is one of the most funniest things I've seen in years. I just was laughing out loud the whole time it was going on. There are a couple of early-in-the-game annoying sections where you are having to play disc golf, and they're super challenging. So basically the mechanics of the disc golf I did not enjoy at all. I did not find them to be nearly as easy to use as the actual golf controls, and I was glad that it ended pretty quickly. You didn't have to keep doing that. I would not play a full game of disc golf unless they fixed the controls for that. But yeah, man, this one lasted about 15 hours, which is like a sweet spot for me in video games. And it is one of the my favorite things I've played in the last several years. I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, when you had mentioned you were playing it again, I actually, because I played the game back when it first came out and beat it. And I remember there was one thing I had left to do, and it was, I know you said the disc golf was challenging, but did you ever try the drone golf? I did not unlock drone golf what what is drone golf so you have a drone that flies around and you have to drop the ball in the hole what and there's wind yeah it's i forget where on the map it is but yeah it was how do i not knowingly difficult and i beat it i was like yeah it's been two years since it came out i fired it up and i beat it the first try and i remember last the first time i played it it was incredibly difficult well, crap. Now I guess I'm going to have to go online and look up drone golf and figure out how the heck I need to unlock this. Maybe it, I can't imagine it's something I did and don't remember it. That yeah, sounds. It's, yeah, it's pretty. You'd notice it right away. Wow. I wonder how I missed that. That's fascinating. It sounds interesting, though. And, I, you know, overall, I love it. And I love how you threw in there. I beat it. That's probably like a dig at me. People don't know. I didn't actually beat the game. I should put that out there. And I'll let people I was going to ask, but I didn't want to bring it up. But it won't be on the spot. We're going to be honest on this podcast, Stephen. So I did not beat the game. I've already told people I like baby ass baby mode. But uh, I got to the final round of golf, and it is an absolute banger of a challenge. Like, super hardcore. And it is it is the hardcore kind of of gameplay I don't like when up until this point in the entire game the abilities I have I have been able to use to always not necessarily easily win but to easily compete and be right there and challenge for a win the final course out of nowhere makes you hit every single perfect shot or every shot to absolute perfection the wind alternates every time you play it you can't figure it out and then go back in and do it again because the wind will have changed, whereas most courses are not like that. And it just – it was so hard. I got so frustrated. I was like in that gamer rage mode where I was ready to throw my dang controller through the screen, and I was like, this is not for me. So as of now, I have not beaten this. I am thinking about trying it on my next gaming weekend when I'm drunk, but then I'm afraid like I'll either do better because – I'm buzzed and like less, you know, just like letting it all go or it's going to end up in a really serious rage problem. So I probably shouldn't do that, but maybe one day I'll finish. I hope that that's not how I get drone golf. I'm going to be disappointed if I have to beat the game to do that. That would be a real shame if that's the only way to unlock it. I don't think so because I think it was available before the last match and I failed miserably at the drone golf. So then I just played the last round. Well, I, I highly recommend it. Steven liked it a lot too and loved it. And so, you know, check this one out, folks. And, you know, speaking of Nintendo Switch games, 
I want to plug real quick just a site called Deku Deals, D-E-K-U Deals. This is a site where you can go on and you can create a wish list of your games that you want for Nintendo Switch. You can signify whether you want them physical or digital, and it will email you when they go on sale, and it will tell you how much of a percentage the sale is. So, like, it'll say, you know, Mario plus Rabbids is on sale for this amount, and it is a 40% discount, and this is the lowest price it's ever been. Or, you know, this is a 20% discount, but the lowest price it's ever been is 40 And so it really helps you, like, find deals. And frankly, with Nintendo Switch, that's one of the problems is, especially their first-party stuff, they hold so much value that you can't even buy first-party games used with Nintendo Switch for cheap. Like, they're still 55 bucks used forever, like three, four, five years down the road. So highly recommend this site. Um, there's all kinds of digital deals on the eShop, and it will help you pick out the best ones. And that's how you can grab games like Golf Story for, you know, 10 bucks, And it's absolutely worth your 10 bucks. I think you're going to need to tweet out a link to that so I can give it a try. It sounds a lot like Blu-ray.com, which I'm always checking for movie deals. So might yeah, be definitely. Definitely use. When we get the Gotta Be Gaming podcast Twitter in action as these episodes are released, we will tweet that out there. So there's your, I guess, reason to go follow us, even beyond just because you like us, folks. Okay, we're going to move on to our next section now. This is our What We're Playing section where we talk about games that are out now, uh, currently, that is current, going back about 12 months to give us a little bit of leniency. And after talking about my game of the year in 2019 in our first episode, that was Fire Emblem Three Houses, I'm going to talk about my second favorite game of the year in 2019 in this episode, and that was Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And... Before I go into it, I gotta know, Steven, did you play this game? Yes, I did, and I think it might have been my second favorite game of the year, right behind Fire Emblem Three Houses, too. Wow, so there you have it, listeners. We are in sync. Bye, bye, bye. Okay, anyway, that was bad. But, that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So this was an action-adventure game developed by Respawn Entertainment and published by EA. came out on Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One on November... 15th, 2019, tragically in a little bit of like a two-week window out of the entire year where reviewers were not given access to the game early enough to fully check it out uh, before their votes were due for the Game Awards. And so this game was in limbo and did not get to qualify. And that was a, just it's a travesty, man, because it should have been all over those flipping nominations, in my opinion. And I was pretty bummed, but it is what it is. It happens in the Oscars all the freaking time, unfortunately, too. But this game is one of the best games that EA has ever put out since they've had the Star Wars license. And they've had it for forever, and they've put out a lot of crap and games that people just do not enjoy and do not feel, fans have not felt like they've done justice to having that license. But this changed things. The story is pretty deep, honestly. It's not just about a fallen order. It's about fallen characters. So these people have a past and they have present failings. They have trauma and they are on a journey towards redemption and also a brighter future, not just for themselves, but for the entire Star Wars universe. It's got some big surprises. 
and it's got a lot of emotional heft in some certain scenes as well. There's at least one moment that left me completely speechless, like controller dropped, head shaking, freaking out, speechless. And then there's another that had me squealing in absolute glee because I got to go to this location that I know of in the Star Wars universe. And I'd never been there in a video game before. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, it only has a few main characters. Uh, Cal Kestis is our protagonist. The game centers around him. He's on a mission to become a Jedi. He's force sensitive and kind of gets caught and is on the run. Um, the game is set after Order 66, which is when Palpatine ordered the Jedi wiped out, uh, but also before Rogue One and the events of actual Star Wars A New Hope. Cal and his crew are so much fun to be with. They have this incredible banter that is very Firefly-like in was what I would relate it to. It felt like it was that sort of kind of Western space adventure uh, when they were together and they were talking. They don't get to go out with you in the world. I kind of wish they would have. I wish they would have been integrated more into the actual gameplay somehow, but I got a kick out of just talking to my crew. The game is inspired by and has influence from Uncharted and Tomb Raider, which is what immediately tells you Aaron is going to love it because those are two of his all-time favorite franchises. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person. You literally actually raid tombs in this game. Like when I did that, Steven, I was freaking out the first time when they were like, oh, you're going to go into this tomb and raid it or something. I was like, oh, oh, we're just not even going to pretend, I guess. But it is so much fun to explore those tombs and look around them, finding out their secrets, solving puzzles, doing all of the things that you typically do, platforming around. Um, there's some like Prince of Persia-like running sections that you do in this game that are a blast as well. Another one of my favorite series. So it just, it just had a lot of things that I enjoyed. The combat truly made me feel like a Jedi. There is a ton of weight behind swinging the lightsaber in this game. Like it feels like it hits hard. It feels like it's going to kill. The combat is hard too. It's very Dark Souls-esque in the, the difficulty and like I said many times already, I played this on easy mode. I eventually just kind of had to knock it down to story mode, I think is what it was called in this one, because I wanted to have fun. And I didn't think that a regular old stormtrooper should be able to kick my butt. That didn't make sense because I'm a Jedi. And so playing it on story mode let me feel like a Jedi because I was just wrecking fools left and right, man. And it was a blast. I had so much fun. I got to discover new emitters, which is like your handle for the lightsaber you got to find new colors of lightsabers uh, and then you even got some new styles of lightsabers i won't give away what those are but it was amazing to kind of get to play around with different types of lightsabers in this game and then all the while you're mixing in force powers uh, like force push force pull all that stuff that you see in the movies and the tv shows the thing i really hated about this that i probably just despise so much that there's no way it could have ever been my game of the year. And that is because the map sucks. The map sucks so, 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 so bad. It, I understand what they're doing with it. They're, they go with like a 3D model, 
but there's a lot of verticality in this game where you're inside of a cavern and you need to get to somewhere that's like two or three levels up and it's just really really difficult to navigate at one point i got stuck man and i was trying to get to a waypoint and i spent 30 45 minutes lost and there's no fast travel so you couldn't just like zip yourself out of this problem like you literally could not and you you could reload a save but even then if you're in that same area it's not going to save you you just had to navigate your way out there was no way around it and i was just absolutely pissed off by the end of it the exploration is okay like when you're going through the levels the first time but i think backtracking to go back through the levels could have been done a lot better than it was there i didn't i didn't feel a strong need to go back to planets i'd already visited just to collect stuff it didn't seem necessary um again game length this is a sweet spot for me man this was an action adventure game it was about 25 hours for me which was beautiful a great time with it not too much not too little uh it was a breath of fresh air i think that ea finally delivered a solid star wars game and it left me wanting a sequel big time big time bad so um i'm curious now that i know that it's your second favorite of the year did you do what do you agree with me on and what do you disagree with me on? Uh, I agree with you on the story. I love the story, the characters, the cast and crew. They were fantastic. They were funny. They were just, I would just sit there and just keep heading A over and over again just to see what new things they would say, see what kind of new funny dialogue they would have. One thing I will disagree with you on is I guess I don't understand why everyone thought the map sucked. I thought it was fine. I never seemed to get lost with it. Maybe I just, just cause I just kept exploring and running around. I never really got stuck anywhere. One thing I guess maybe I should have done was mop, mop, take it down to story mode because I was playing on, I think the second easiest level. And there was times, especially on Darth Amir at the beginning where it was just incredibly difficult to play just cause the, yeah, just getting the combat going, getting it. Your guys are just attacking you left and right. You've got like two guys that are just on you at all times and it was just incredibly difficult especially if you had there was i think in that level there was um guys with arrows so you had like three guys with arrows on you at times and it was like i can take one guy out but i can't take the other so i kind of like just slowly crept in the area so only one arrow guy saw me and it was just kind of got really frustrating with that another thing i thought was frustrating was the rams in the game there's these little horned creatures and they're so ridiculous (laughs) it's like i'm a jedi i can take out these guys with blasters and all sorts of stuff but i can't take out this ram animal because he just keeps charging at me and destroying me left and right yep super fast they took you down like awful like a huge chunk of health when they knocked you down and then by the time you were struggling to get up you could often not even be able to get an attack swing off before they were hitting you again yeah those guys were super frustrating yeah and then definitely want a sequel need that asap i want to know what kind of adventure we're going on there's a character reveal at the end that was just shocking, and I was, I too was like, this is amazing. I am freaking out right now. My heart's racing. I'm terrified. I don't know what's going on, but the Star Wars geek in me is super happy. And yeah, it was a game that just brought tons of emotion and just tons of fun. Well, I'm glad that we had the same feelings on that one. What, uh, what else you, were you playing this week in, in the kind of more current kind of zone? So in the last episode, I kind of mentioned how I was hyped for uh, the Castlevania TV show to come out. And so once again, decided to fire up a 
another Metroidvania. So I was kind of torn. I was like, do I play Castlevania Symphony of the Night or do I try to play something more, more modern? So I decided to fire Bloodstained. Now, Bloodstained was developed by Artplay and published by 505 Games. And it was um, the, the development of the game was led by Castlevania series producer Koji Irigashagi. Igor Ashi, I have no idea how to say his name, sorry for mispronouncing it, and it's kind of a spiritual successor to the Castlevania series. Um, it got kind of a lot of notoriety because it was it was a Kickstarter. Um, he kind of uh, Koji kind of put it up for Kickstarter because he wanted to show investors that hey, there's demands for these types of games. So when he put it out there, he got 5.5 million dollars from his backers, which made it one of the most funded video game campaigns on Kickstarter. In Bloodstain, you play as Miriam, a shard binder who is trying to um, stop another shard binder named Gebel or Gebel, and she's being assisted by a character named Johannes. And so I'm not too far into the game, so it's kind of about what I know story-wise. The shard binders are kind of like a, um, a group of characters who were back in the Industrial Revolution. They were they didn't like how the Industrial Revolution was kind of building up and kind of taking away from the, the religious area of the world. So they decided they wanted to make it – they'd bring up these demons to attack the people to make them think that they still needed the church to be around them. What I like about this game is that it feels like a Castlevania game. It's got just that side-scrolling action. It's got the different types of weapons. You've got swords. You've got whips. You've got daggers. You've got – Clothing items that you can pick up that kind of help improve your stats. Like, um, I've got this pirate hat. And what I like about it is, is the pirate hat displays in all the cutscenes. It displays on my character at all times. So it's just kind of that nice little added touch that I really like with these types of games. You've got these magic abilities that you can kind of pick up that are given to you by the shards that you pick up throughout the game. So as you're fighting bad guys, if randomly when you fight, a, when you defeat a bad guy, You'll get this shard that kind of pierces your body, and it gives you this ability that kind of makes you attack like the bad guy you just defeated. So, like, I got um, – there's bats in the game, which I can't stand. They're fast. They're little. They're really annoying. But when you get – when you defeat a bat, you get this bat shard that allows you to call in bats to attack as well. Or there was this knight guy who had this sword that he would wind it up and it would spin, and – when you defeated him, I was able to get one of those attacks, and that helped me with the second boss battle, which I had to fight, which was the most incredibly difficult thing that I've done in a while in the game. This boss was so annoying beat, he just kept destroying me over and over and over again. I ended up getting to the point where I just went to the store, bought a bunch of potions, and I think I bought like 8 to 10 potions, and I needed to use all 10 of those to get through this boss because it was just so frustrating to beat. So I'm only a couple of hours in, but it's definitely a game that I'll I want to keep playing. But with Ori coming out this this week, that I'm probably gonna put it down for a little bit. But hopefully I'll try to pick it back up. Have you any interest in this game, Aaron? Well, like you, I picked it up for a little bit, um, less time than you actually. I love 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 games that put your equipped items into the cutscenes and into the character, but specifically into the game play itself. But when they go into the cutscene, that's like a whole new level. That's very very rare, and that is an awesome level of immersion that I think is something we just could use a lot more of, frankly. 
especially with a game like this, where there are so many different clothing options to get, so many different weapon types to unlock. I enjoy that quite a bit. And I like the fluidity of the movement in this game. I like the art style of the game. I think that there is a lot going on with the combat and the way that you are shooting and using your abilities. One of them requires you to hold a trigger and aim one of the thumbsticks in a certain direction. Uh, it's kind of like a directional magic, and it's different than just your other magic that you just have to hit the Y button for. And so for me, it was pretty confusing to use the controls. Like I did not have that super tight, comfortable like experience where I knew exactly what button I was hitting and what I was going to do. And so I would often hit the wrong thing. And in this game, it's pretty difficult in general. There are no difficulty levels. You can't knock it down to easy mode like I would have done. Unfortunately, it is what it is. And so when you get hit, you can get staggered. And if you're not quick on your feet and able to respond to that, you can basically go down in your health pretty darn fast. And so I would end up in that situation because I would use the wrong magic at the wrong time or the controls were just not comfortable for me. Uh, and I got to the first boss and had the same problem you're having with the second boss. I, I have not beaten the first boss. The I grinded out an extra level or two uh, so that I could try and beat it, and I got really darn close and then failed. Like I would say I was probably like one or two hits away from beating it, and I died, and it was like a fourth or fifth attempt, and I was just so, so angry, and I was like, I don't, I'm not having fun. Like, this is not fun to me, and I could be playing another game that is more fun to me, and so I have put it down. I probably won't go back to it. Um, this is the beauty of Game Pass, though. I tell you what, man, I, we are going to sing the praises of Game Pass, I'm sure, on this podcast, because it is just an incredible service, and I think it's going to change the world, and that's a whole conversation we'll have to have at some point. But Game Pass allowed me to download this, play it, not really love it, come back to it when I found out you were going to talk about it tonight to try it out again, not love it again and get frustrated again and just delete it. Like, And there's no cost to me to do that because I've kind of already paid it in my monthly subscription. It's just a beautiful thing. And so I think that for the people who love Castlevania-style games with that difficulty, and there are plenty of gamers that enjoy a challenge, this is a good game. I have a critic, film critic friend named Michelle uh, from Detroit who absolutely loved this, one of her favorite games of last year, and she thought it was incredible. So... There are plenty of people out there that Bloodstained is a going to be a hit for. And like I said, it's on Game Pass. So you can check it out for free if you've got that service. It's worth it. Yeah, that's what the main thing of why I decided to play it was because, yeah, it's on Game Pass. It's free. It's one of those games that I've been kind of following throughout the past year. On the, I, was, I wanted to get for the Switch because that's the game where – that's the platform where I want to play these types of games. It feel like more comfortable when you play them on the Switch. It feels more like a Nintendo-type game. So I want to play it on the Switch, but – it just never really got on sale for me. And so it was like, oh, Castlevania's out. Let's just go get it on Game Pass. Give it a try. See if I like it. Maybe if I do, since I'm only a couple hours in, maybe I'll play for a little bit more and I decide, oh, I do like this game. Maybe I will actually pony up the cash and pay for it and get it on the Switch. But that's kind of how I think I'll end up using Game Pass from here on out. I'm very similar. Um, I also like to support games and support game developers and those that I respect their art because, frankly... You know, people tend to think that game developers make millions of dollars, and that's just not necessarily the case. You know, there's exceptions, like a God of War 4 that is going to make 
a ridiculous amount of money. But if, even if you watch the documentary on that game, you see how much it costs in the team of people and how many people are involved in making that game. But especially games in the indie world. Uh, if, you know, Bloodstained made five million on Kickstarter, so there's no problem there. But for other games, I agree with you. Like, I'll give you an example. Slay the Spire. <laughs> One of my absolute favorite games from last year. Totally would probably never have gotten around of trying it out had it not been on Game Pass. But I got to try it out, and I am going to buy it when it when I get a chance to because I want it on Switch because it's the perfect game for me to play in my lap, even though I have it for free on Game Pass, and I also want to be able to support that developer and let them know that I love their creativity and their art, and I, I want them to keep making games. So highly recommend your method as well. Well, real quick, I want to talk about another indie that I played this week, and this is a super fast little section for me because the game itself only takes 30 minutes to play Stephen, it is called florence and florence is an interactive story developed by the australian studio mountains and it was published by annapurna active interactive and it was released on valentine's day of 2018 for ios originally then on March 14th, later that year, on Android, and then this year it came out um, on Microsoft Windows, Mac, and Nintendo Switch in February. It might have been on Valentine's Day of this year that it came out as well. Um, I love seeing games from Annapurna Interactive. I saw the thumbs up you gave me because we're both big film guys, as we mentioned in our introduction, and Annapurna is a film studio as well. So it's to me, it's really cool that there's like this indie film studio that's also putting out indie video games. It's like, I love you. <laughs> you know, like, you are my favorite. Um, and so that's always fun to see their logo pop up mountains. This studio is actually really mainly just one guy. It's uh, the designer is named Ken Wong and he made the game monument Valley. So if you're familiar with that puzzle game on iOS, brilliant, brilliant puzzle game. This is not a brilliant puzzle game. It's completely different. Like I said, interactive story. Uh, it is the tale of a 25 year old woman named Florence Yo. She is a protagonist in this. She is Chinese-Australian, was Ken Wong's intention. And it's a very diverse game. It's about her experience with love. Um, she finds it. She meets a boyfriend that is named Krish. He's Indian. So like I said, it's a very diverse uh, cast. I enjoy that a lot. They end up living together. They struggle. They drift apart. And she changes and essentially kind of comes of age in a way it plays out via a series of very simple choices and like interactive motions at times. And it's divided into 20 chapters. Each of them features a different portion of her life. You don't really have any control over the story at all. You can't change the outcome or anything. You're just kind of flowing with her through it. It's more of like, Hey, go through this experience and see what it's like than it is to try and, dictate what's going to happen. In fact, Ken Wong actually was talking in an article about this one where he said that that was part of the reason he did not give players too much choice or give them the ability to change the outcome because he didn't want people to think there was a right or wrong choice in life going through your relationships and how you handle um, difficulties in them. So it was more about going through the experience than it was being correct. Uh, and it is, it has amazing art backed by a beautiful musical score. Uh, both of the characters in this are artistically inclined. And so creativity plays into this in a big way. 
And it really does nail what it feels like for me to go through a relationship and the stages of one. There's one section that I think highlights the way that the game plays. I'll, I'll call it two. The game starts with you waking up and brushing your teeth and you literally have to move the thumb pad or the D, you know, the thumbstick back and forth to brush your teeth and fill up a little bar, you know, until you're done. And it captures the mundane feeling of waking up and brushing your teeth groggily in the morning. It's like, okay, I have to do this, right? I have to go back and forth, back and forth because it's just something I have to get done. And another section that I think really, really nails the aspect of like a relationship is when she first meets him and they're having their conversations, you start out with these chat bubbles on the bottom of the screen for each of them. And you have a bunch of different puzzle pieces and you have to drag and fill in these puzzle pieces in order to make your next piece of conversation. As you go on and you're talking to him, you see in the character animations that they're understanding each other and getting to know each other better. And you start having less and less puzzle pieces and it becomes easier and quicker that you can respond. And so it really gets at the feeling that as you get to know someone, it becomes easier to talk to them. Later in the game, they have a fight and it's a chat that's happening fast and furious. And instead of calm and blue, it's all in red and the puzzle pieces are jagged and ugly. And it's so much harder to like try and get those puzzle pieces together. And it really feels like this is what it's like to try and have a conversation when you're angry and you're upset and you're fighting. You can't quickly make the right statement. You make mistakes. You can't get the pieces together. And I just, it is amazing how he created this, uh, to work out like this over this course of a 30 minute game. Uh, I really do think it is masterful in the way that it plays out. So it, like I said, 30 minutes to play through. It's on Switch now. It's really cheap. Again, it's worth your money. It's worth supporting Ken Wong and his indie development you know, ideas, in my opinion, again, it's, it's unlike anything else you're going to play, which I always find to be especially awesome in the gaming world is no matter whether I like the genre or not, particularly is if I'm playing something that I haven't ever seen before done quite like this, that's something I want to try out. And Florence was like that. Is it a game that has any kind of replayability? Like, is it something you could see yourself wanting to pick up and try again? Or is it story's done, you're good to go? I don't think I'd want to replay it, honestly. I don't I don't see any purpose once you've gone through it once. Uh, I could see it as a game you might want to, like, share with people. So if my daughter had not been with me, my son and daughter were there, and we kind of went through it together, I would have definitely been like, oh, hey, you know, Ashlyn, I want you to play this game because I want you to experience it. And it's only 30 minutes. So what I think of it as is a cool little gateway type experience because it's so interactive and it's so quick and it has such a great job of storytelling that on the Switch, and I suppose on mobile too, because it's just a swiping game on mobile, but you could easily share it with someone who's not a big gamer and be like, hey, try this out. This is what video games can be like. It's not all running and jumping in Halo. Um, or like a platformer. So that's kind of how I would say you might be able to share it for multiple playthroughs, but not just like me sitting down to play it again. Okay. Maybe it's something that I'll definitely go check out then, especially if it's on the Switch, because I don't really, it's kind of got that, you know, I mean, here it's on iOS, it's on Android, it's like, oh, it's a mobile game. And it's kind of one of those things that's got that negative stereotype to it. So it's like, 
that's not a real game, but hey, it's on the Switch, so I guess that makes it a real game now. It is, and and some of them don't translate well. Some of them that they put on the Switch are, in fact, just kind of like, why'd you do that? Like, that was just a money-making tactic or whatever. But this one, I think, fits really well on a beautiful 4K TV with great sound, so... I would actually be disappointed to play it on my phone. I don't think it would have done it quite nearly the justice. I don't think I would have been as immersed in the story either if I was just sitting on the bus, you know, flipping through it or something like that. Yeah, especially because I've heard the score is actually really good. And I've seen, yeah, you mentioned it. And then I've seen the vinyl soundtracks on sale. And it's not often you see that kind of video game score come out on vinyl. So it's good that, yeah, you play it on the big screen. You get that speakers going. Yeah, if you're on your phone, it's going to be muted. Not gonna know what's going on. It's probably yeah, definitely much easier to watch play that on the TV. Yes, sir. Let's move into our final section and do a little bit of get hyped. So a couple things on the docket for today, Stephen. First off, is really nothing we really need to talk about much, but like Animal Crossing, it's coming next week. Yay! <laughs> yeah, it's Animal Crossing. I I think you might be hyped for it more than I am. I haven't really played much of the franchise before. I've played it on the the DS and the 3DS. I never played it on the GameCube. It's a game where I played for a couple hours. Uh, yeah, so what makes you hyped for it? Well, I have experience with it, both the older version on the Nintendo Wii... I think it was the version that I played. Uh, now I feel bad. I don't remember if it was the game. I think it was the Wii. Uh, it's the one that I played a lot of. And then I played quite a bit of the DS, 3DS version as well. And I just think it is the perfect chill game. There are lots of games I play that I'm trying to beat. I'm trying to get through. There are games that I play with friends, like Destiny, that are shooters and fast-paced and... You know, bang, bang, kill, kill, jump, jump, run, run. Animal Crossing doesn't have any of that stuff. Animal Crossing fills a niche for me that there aren't a lot of games out there that can, which is it's super cute and it is just a fun, joyful, puts a smile on my face to play it. And it allows me to do a thing that I love to do, which is collect things. So I am that guy. If you have, like, a monster compendium in your game, I am going to try and complete it. If you have a log of, like, you collected every part or every type of grass that's in this world, I am going to try and collect every type of grass that is in your world. And Animal Crossing has that. It has a bug collection that has, you know, sizes that you can try and get bigger and bigger and bigger ones. It has a museum where this stuff can go. You try to go to fishing competitions. And it has the really cool element of the real-time calendar, which makes it fun to always see how the world that your your characters are living in is evolving and changing. The game is supposedly going to have animated wallpapers, and I don't want to get into this too much because we're going to talk about it once we get our hands on it, of course. But animated wallpapers for your house just sounds like freaking so cool to me. I want to decorate my house really badly and make it all kinds of animated inside, and I'm just excited to see how that's going to work. So, yeah, I, this is going to be a perfect, like, I just want to pick up and chill for like an hour after work before I put some time into beating a game and I just can log on and see what's up on my island and hang out with my friends, my residents. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Yeah, that chill aspect. I think it's going to be a game where I'll buy it, I'll play it. When I'm playing Destiny, 
it takes that 20 minutes to load into Destiny for the first time. I'll, you know, fire up Animal Crossing and just walk around my island, talk with characters while I'm waiting for other games to load or cooking dinner. I'll fire it up then and kind of while the water's boiling on the, on the stove, I'll play some Animal Crossing. So yeah, it's great for sports as well. So like we're going to get it the same weekend that the NCAA tournament is in action for March Madness. Games are going to be on the TV like nonstop. It's you can sit there with the switch in your lap and you don't. This is what I'm excited about, too, is it's not a kind of game where like, oh, if I don't look at my screen for five minutes, something bad's going to happen. I can literally just, oh, I'm watching the game. I'm not even paying attention to the, the, the Nintendo switch in my lap for five or ten minutes because I'm enthralled. And then when I look back down, everything's kind of basically the same. And I didn't ruin my entire game because of it. And I can just pick it up and start finishing what I was doing. Definitely hyped for that. Uh, today is Mario Day, like we mentioned at the top of the episode. What did we find out today about Mario Day, Stephen? Well, we found out kind of a surprise announcement that I don't think anybody was expecting was, I think it was Nintendo of America tweeted it out first. They teased this little thing. I think they said they were, were building something, and it was a picture of a Lego Mario, and it kind of just scrolled up. You didn't see his head. He had like an animated mouth. So then the speculation starts rising. Are we going to be getting a Lego Mario set? I don't know what it'd be. Are we going to get a Peach's Castle? Are we can get little levels. Who knows? But it's Lego. How could you not get excited for Legos? Well, it was an awesome announcement. And I'll admit, I was really hyped about this. And I started sharing it with everybody. But I came to find out later on that my hype was a little misplaced. Because while I think that Mario and Lego are a perfect marriage, to be honest, and I think Lego sets would be very, very cool. I thought when I saw this announcement, it meant we were getting a Lego Super Mario game. And I was like, I need that in my life right now. Um, so I'm hoping that this partnership is one that will advance and include a new Lego game in the Super Mario world, because I think that would be really fantastic. Yeah, that would be definitely pretty interesting. Because, yeah, I'd never even thought of that it'd be a game, but I think definitely a game would be fun to play. Interesting world. It's got that Nintendo brightness color. Level design would be great. I could even see you maybe putting a little, make it a Mario Maker-esque, build your own level design could be fun. But, yeah, definitely Legos and Mario is going to be a a winning combination. You know what's not going to be a winning combination, in my opinion, is the other announcement they made, which is that Nintendo and they're doing like a partnership for Mario with Levi's. And you can actually find it if you go search for this online, listeners. But they are, they have like a, a, a denim collection that is just covered in Mario characters. It is, it's awful. It's such an eyesore. I don't know who's going to wear this. I'm sure there's somebody out there that this is for, but it's not me. We're going to get matching overalls, Aaron. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Is that go to we're matching overalls? Over, matching overalls. <laughs> That'll be our cosplay. You know, I I could maybe. <laughs> I would do that before I would dress up as Mario or Luigi, to be honest. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how this Lego, or not Lego, but how this Mario and Levi's partnership turns out. But when I saw the pictures of the jacket and the overalls, I was just like, goodness gracious, that is just too much for me. Yeah, they've partnered with other clothing lines before, so yeah, this one just seems rather random because, yeah, it's Levi. So we'll see what happens with that. But you got to get your overalls if you want to be like Mario. I guess so. 
Well, that's about it for us uh, for this episode, listeners. We hope you've enjoyed it. I uh, hope you get out there and do some gaming, play some of these titles, find us on social media, let us know what you're playing. How can people do that, Stephen, if they want to connect with us via the interwebs? I think they can find us on Twitter at the Gotta Be Gaming Podcast. And we are on Facebook at Gotta Be Gaming Podcast. And you can find me individually on Twitter at Stephen M. Keller or on Instagram where I'll be posting video game stuff at Hipster Pop Geek. And uh, where can we find you, Aaron? And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and pretty much everywhere, including most consoles at Aaron L. White. That's A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Again, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed these first couple episodes. We'll be back at you very soon. So until next time, just remember that it doesn't matter if you're playing something old or new. You've got to be gaming.